Welcome to Macro Crunch, a podcast covering global investing and technology. I'm your host, Sean Bill, a macro investor with over 20 years experience. I currently manage over $3 billion investing in growth, income, and alternative assets. I'm also an active angel investor based here in the Silicon Valley. If you're an accredited investor, you can follow my angel investments at angel.co. And check out my blog at macrocrunch.com. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. And welcome back, folks. Thank you for joining us. Um, I hope everything is going well with you through Brella. Okay, so like I mentioned before the break, albeit a little, little bit clumsily, we've got cryptocurrency on the horizon for us, and we look forward to hearing from a great collection of panelists who will be led by Sean Bill. Sean Bill is um, an institutional investor from California and one of the great thinkers in the digital space. So we look forward to hearing from him and his panelists. Over to you, Sean. Yeah, thank you very much for having us. Uh, I hope everybody's uh, looking forward to the panel on AI and Bitcoin, uh, two of the probably more interesting areas right now in finance. We have a, a great group of panelists here. We have uh, Alex Timpson, uh, Ashby Monk, and Maggie Robetsky. Um, maybe we'll just go right into it, and Ashby, maybe you can kind of uh, give us a little bit of a framework of how you're thinking sure. about AI and finance and kind of the potential uh, positive impacts and what have you. Yeah, thanks, John. It's awesome to be here. Um, yeah. I spend so much of my time thinking and, and studying um, big long-term investors so that that kind of guides how I think about technology. Um, and I think in, in thinking about AI, it's useful just to kind of take a step back and think about like, what are the um, kind of advantages that technology tends to provide investors, right? So AI is a new form of technology. It's kind of slowly making its way into our world. Um, it's been in the world of hedge funds, but it's beginning to creep into all different kinds of investors, venture capitalists, pension funds um, in the Netherlands are using AI. So, so what can we expect in terms of advantage? And so in that sense, I think it's useful to know that technology generally provides two types of advantage. One is speed. Um, which means you know you can do something that you know you needed to do faster, um, signaling a trade, getting an answer to a question, understanding some phenomenon that you know that you need to understand. Speed is a, is a clear advantage and you see that um, kind of throughout financial markets as hedge funds move closer to stock exchanges in order to get that trade signal in ahead of, ahead of you. Um, and then uh, the second edge is inference which means drawing a deeper insight or understanding from data some unexpected connection coming out of your data set um, this often refers to regressions correlations connections that help investors better understand their portfolio their goals and i think the greatest example probably over the last decade of an inferential um, breakthrough is the rise of factor-based um, asset allocation Ultimately, that was an inferential insight that came out of the field of economics. Um, and, 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 you know, the technology underpinning that was, you know, Python and Stata and different um, regression toolkits. Um, but that, that was a huge inferential leap. Now, don't be fooled by the importance of the, the factor-based investing because ultimately speed has far outstripped inference as a provider of edge. Um, if you go back 4,000 years, uh, you can find that the Babylonians um, were, were using cuneiform tablets in order to do simple regressions. They were tracking the depth and flow of the Euphrates River. 
and correlating that flow to prices of commodities. You know, the deeper the water, the more rain upstream, um, the more rain upstream, the more of a certain commodity you could expect at market, the more supply, the lower the price. And these are the types of simple, simple inferences that were being drawn from data that far. They were simple spreadsheets. And so 4,000 years later, we're still doing spreadsheets on tablets. Um, those tablets aren't, you know, cuneiform anymore, but they are still nonetheless tablets. Um, and, and so that tells you a little bit about what we've developed in terms of inferential depth through our technology. We're still doing the same types of inferences. Um, but with AI, I think the power of AI, coming back to that, is to say we're going to see a huge step change in inferential depth. So our edge from speed will be eroded over time and our edge from inference, what we can pull out of the data, self-understanding, understanding of the world will dramatically improve. And I say that's gonna compound because we are already reaching the limits of speed. It's called the speed of light. Mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't go any faster. Um, but the computational power this is my fat last bottle point. I'll kick it back to you, Sean. The computational power feels like it's almost endless now, right? Like we're, we're reaching quantum computing. We've got everything in the cloud. And so I think we can expect with AI, like a fundamental step change in how investors perceive themselves, their portfolios in the world around them. And that will change how they think. And that's pretty exciting. That's no, very exciting. Uh, Alexander, uh, your firm, Corient Capital Partners, has invested in the fintech space. Um, I know you're also a big believer in AI's ability to speed up inference. And one of the areas I know that you've, you've talked a little bit about is uh, kind of how AI might bridge the old world of finance to the new world of finance and kind of bring some of the behavioral economics elements in to help investors uh, improve important performance. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, thank you. For one, thank you for having me today. It's a, it's a wonderful group of people. And for those of you in the audience, thank you for, for hearing my, my modest thoughts on these subjects. But um, I think in fintech, I want to be clear on this subject, is that um, these are the three areas where um, I see the innovation. One is for retail investors to access markets, which is, which is fine. Um, it also improves the ability for institutional and high frequency traders to get better stock fills than retail investors. And it also allows um, um, startups to outfox traditional Wall Street on how to make money off retail investors. Uh, that's where I see most of the money flowing. That's most of the companies in the news um, are kind of involved in those areas. Unfortunately, those areas don't improve investor outcomes. Um, I, I'm not convinced that um, easier access for uh, retail investors means they're going to be wise long-term investors. I'm um, certainly uh, uh, morally concerned about the ability to fill trades um, um, at a better price than other investors. Um, I, I don't think I can have the expertise to comment further on that. And um, in terms of, uh, you know, outfoxing traditional Wall Street, it really is traditional Wall Street. It's just how do we make money off retail investors but not have them see the money we're charging them? And mm -hmm. I look at all these things and realize, is that really improving our, our financial world? Um, I don't think it is at this point. I, I believe the technology and the innovation is, is powerful and real, and the companies that are doing it are serious companies 
that deserve investors' dollars. I just am concerned that it is not yet transferred down to the average investor. Um, our firm um, handles people who have the money to trade institutionally, but that doesn't blind me to the fact that um, the the financial outcomes for investors continues to be a really um, a, a, a big drag on our economy as people aren't able to save enough money to retire and ultimately it becomes a little bit of a burden of the government. So what does it mean? It means that the, the, the chance for AI here, when you talk about um, traditional, traditional finance, um, the AI would serve such an important purpose if it were able to adjust the behavioral element of an investor to their portfolio. And you'd say, well, you know, people are already doing this, but they're not already doing it because most investors don't, when they answer questions, aren't telling you the truth of the matter. Here's what most investors say. They want to buy low and sell high. But we know from all the academic research, they buy high and sell low. We also know great work done by Brad Barber and Terrence Odeon out of, the, out of at Berkeley, where they did the study that basically said around the globe, the average investor does two to 4% worse than, um, than, than their benchmark a year. Well, if we can kind of take that behavioral element, you know, Kahneman and Tversky, Richard Thaler, you know, these people who kind of mm -hmm. said investors are irrational and don't make decisions that are in their best interest. If AI can somehow um, get in between that and truly ferret out what it would take for investors to, to optimize their behavior, I think this would be truly a triumph of fintech. If someone's able to go and invest in their portfolio and the fintech system would be able to kind of tell they weren't really telling the truth, that they weren't really acting in their best interest and translate to better financial outcomes. So I believe that um, the ability to, to, to change investor behavior for the better and then provide another, then provide financial reporting that confirms their improved behavior is benefiting them mm -hmm. uh, would be a, a, a real leap forward for 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 um, you know investors and and certainly the fintech companies that support that. Um, just quick review. So two things. One is the behavioral element of fintech, and the second is the reporting element. Because without the reporting, people need in simple terms to be able to understand that their behavior. Um, benefited them. And that's hard with most financial yeah. reports these days. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, that's excellent. Um, so Maggie, uh, Alex kind of gave us the overview of how AI could potentially help the retail investor. I know that you are, you know, are studying this very closely at Wilshire, um, trying to think about how does AI impact traditional institutional quantitative investors, perhaps? And what are some of the, the things that are, that are going on in that space that you're you're looking at and considering? Yes, uh, thank you. Um, so as Ashby mentioned that the computational power is uh, um, uh, the, the biggest thing that's bringing to the uh, transformation of our industry uh, in portfolio management. Uh, if you think about uh, the data pr proliferation, data generation um, of our generation is, is, is exponential. exponential. Um, and one emerging field, for example, uh, is the ESG integration. Uh, there has been um, a 
major push uh, for the world uh, to achieve carbon transition by mid-century. And if you think about uh, all the disclosure requirements that's going to be required and both structured and unstructured, um, that uh, a new, new uh, inferences has to be made, a new disclosure requirement has to be analyzed, um, has to be integrated into the um, uh, portfolio management process. Without AI, I really, you know, think it's going to be tremendously difficult for us to function. So uh, the field is in a very beginning stage, but I do see huge potential, um, and it's going to have a lot of uh, implications for the traditional quant management. Um, what kind of like weaknesses and biases do you think that AI is going to introduce to that space? I mean, we're all familiar with you know Facebook and kind of getting into these echo chambers. Uh, what kind of things do you think are are risk? Uh, for, for managers bringing in AI? Right, so I, I think that's a great question. Um, if you think about how AI works, uh, machine learning uh, is functioning based on the data you feed it. Um, and data choice and, and data feeding and the machine learning uh, algorithm are made by humans. So at what point humans can introduce our own biases into the machine learning process is a huge question, um, as well as the manipulation of data uh, sets. Uh, if you think about uh, um, people generating deep fake, right? So even, even data can be, uh, can be generated in, in, in a fake way. And how do you um, correct that kind of bias? I think it's a huge question. I, I think that is one um, major, major uh, hurdle the next generation has to overcome. Yeah, and I mean, just as things as simple as having clean data. I remember when I was at the Chicago Board of Trade, uh, when we were trading commodities, you know, just having actually clean data was really critical to getting the right, you know, outcomes from your analysis. Uh, so, so Ashby, uh, you know, Maggie talked a little bit about uh, AI and ESG. What are your thoughts on ESG and how AI might help with that transition? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the AI and ESG are kind of inextricably linked. Um, to pick up on something Maggie said a second ago, I think um, I, I wrote a paper with the chief operating officer of APG um, where we wrote about digital camouflage because um, you know, there's so many uh, organizations scraping data now and drawing insights from it using AI that for them not to end up, you know, the subject of front running or some other manipulation, they are actually integrating um, a policy around camouflaging their investment activities um, proactively. So creating kind of false trails um, for, for the AI toolkits out there trying to understand what they're doing. Um, look, I think on the ESG front, there's a really interesting way to think about ESG, and that is that it's just alternative data. Um, it's unconventional. We're still figuring out how to integrate it into decision making. Um, and alternative data and uh, ESG as a part of that is, is the other side of the coin of, of AI. Um, as Maggie said, we have so much data, exponential growth in data. How do we make sense of it all? How do we turn that data into information and ultimately knowledge that we can make sense of? AI is going to be enormously useful in just making sense of this huge amount of data, helping us understand something about the world that we didn't. Now, the way I think about the difference between alternative data and ESG in our world is alternative data is seen as a path to alpha and speed. So you use alternative data quickly, 
um, it's you know market changes uh, and you're making a trade based on the alternative data. ESG is usually about risk management, long-term understanding, shifting portfolios. Um, and so it, it can be the same data point, like literally ESG and alternative data can be the same data point, but ESG is about the kind of long-term consequences, um, environmental risk, whereas the alternative data would be, you know, what is the trade that we can do today based on this data point? So if you're interested in alternative data, you should also be interested in, in ESG and both come out of AI. And so, you know, how do you accelerate uh, the onboarding of AI into large, you know, financial institutions, these ultra large uh, asset owners? I mean, the way, I mean, it all sounds really interesting. And but, you know, one of them are constrained on resources. Uh, if we talk about public pensions, uh, yeah. else a little different. But how do you how do you kind of think they facilitate bringing AI into their workflow? I, I can start. Uh, I'd love to hear everybody else's views on this. Um, I, I think you need a good crisis. Uh, you know, these are very conservative organizations and we often design them not to think innovatively. You know, they've got prudent person roles, fiduciary duties, everybody's benchmarked, you know, some are benchmarked against peers in the case of endowments. Um, more than that, they have monopolies over their assets. So, you know, a lot of the public pension plans are, are never going out of business. The people working for these plans may end up getting swapped out, um, which further pushes them to be a little bit conservative. Um, Bill, not everybody is buying, you know, half a percent of Bitcoin um, like you are. Yeah. Uh, but but look, I think if, if you get a good crisis like we had in, you know, 2008, nine, that led to the ramp up of factor based asset allocation. If you go back to 2001, that led to the LDI movement. What we're seeing now is a, a crisis that is pushing organizations, not just in investing towards digital tools. So. Here we are talking through StreamYard. You know, I didn't even, I wouldn't have known yeah. what this was a year ago. Um, so this crisis is actually giving investment organizations an opportunity to start to think about what are the technologies that they need to go out into 2030 and beyond. And so we really need to take advantage of it. Maggie, you're out. So you have anything to add? Yes, I would think the AI utilization in portfolio management is more evolutionary uh, type of process. You have, mm -hmm. we have already been seeing managers actually uh, utilizing unstructured data um, in places like, for, for example, Chinese onshore shares, uh, because the market is mostly driven by retail investors. They tend to get on something called WeChat. They, they would mm -hmm. be talking about things uh, that uh, uh, can send a very quick signal for trading purposes. And we have seen that uh, some managers are already integrating that into their entire process as one part of the input. So, so I do think as time goes on, with, with more of these processes being utilized in real life, being tested, um, um, I, I do see this uh, be very promising in pushing the process mm -hmm. forward. What about uh, from your perspective, Alex? Um, you know, when you talk to your super high net worth investors, are they receptive to uh, embracing, you know, the computer models running and using AI? Uh, I, I think that's a very good question, maybe even a profound question, is um, I don't think investors, particularly those who've made a fortune in non-technology, um, I, don't, I don't think I have a client in San Francisco. I know that's uh, uh, not, a, not a wise thing to be doing if you're someone in my job, but I do, um, do have uh, clients in traditional industries. 
okay? And in traditional industries, um, their response would be this, that people think technology is affecting um, is affecting just these software companies and these companies you you read about that are that dominate the s p 500 right now but really what technology technology should do and does do and you see it through traditional companies it improves productivity and i think that ai um, has a window of opportunity i agree with my my fellow panelists that that this disruption now has traditional people who don't necessarily say, you know, I don't need to be on the latest technology, but I understand it's power for productivity to say, you know what, I'm open to more um, interaction with technology. It seemed to have worked during this shutdown that um, that uh, that I, I now have these, these wonderful innovations coming from the Bay Area and other places that are now um, influencing the way I go about my life. And that's where I think AI can really make inroads and should make inroads because I think the event has happened. I think a very good point was made. We need that event. I think the event has happened. So if I looked at 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 people who, who kind of people I advise or or, or uh, you know work with, um, I think they're receptive to something fairly bold at this point without them having to say, you know what, I, I have a love affair with tech because mm -hmm. in the end they realize they're being more productive this year, perhaps on calls with, with someone like myself than in past years. And as, 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 as someone, a CEO of a major global industrial company gave me some great advice years ago. He said, what does the tech boom does do? The tech boom allows US manufacturing to return to the US. That's ultimately what it's going to do. And, and it will be a good thing for the economy. Um, Through automation, so I, I feel the same thing's going to happen in fintech that that people will be receptive to these AI innovations because they're getting used to now um, receiving receiving technology. Mm -hmm. It could be that you know the asset owners, the deciders like yourself, or like on my side of the table, we're, we're using AI to help us improve our work efficiency, and the end client may not see it right off the bat, but eventually it trickles down to them. Um, so Ashby mentioned that, you know, our, our pension fund uh, owns Bitcoin and uh, has done really well in Bitcoin. Um, it's a small, small piece of our portfolio, but it's more than tripled in value. Um, and we bought it really as a diversifying uh, position and really purchased it with the idea that it's as a, almost like a gold substitute uh, as an inflation hedge in our portfolio. Um, what do you what are your thoughts and i'll open this to the panel what are your thoughts on including bitcoin in a portfolio for your institutional clients or high net worth clients i know our position is a little controversial so <laughs> um maybe i'll take a stab at it um you know, uh, perhaps uh, uh, the word Bitcoin can be used to represent the entire category of digital assets in general. Um, and it, the, the underlying technology is a disruptor, right? The blockchain technology is very re revolutionary and it kind of reminds me of the 1990s with the beginning of the internet commercialization. I do think we're still in the beginning of uh, uh, figuring out how uh, 
how to build an ecosystem around blockchain. Um, and it is uh, the ecosystem also uh, perhaps includes infrastructure um, that will allow um, institutional investors to, to invest in Bitcoin and digital assets directly. Uh, if I understand your um, Sean correctly, that you actually do not directly invest in digital assets because the, the, the uh, infrastructure isn't there. Um, and to I, I do believe in, uh, this is something you cannot get uninvented, right? Big, big, uh, the uh, digital assets is here to stay. I do think the adoption is, is, is happening. Um, however, um, the, we're playing catch up because it's an emerging um, technology it didn't come with a manual. We're, we're trying to figure it out. So I think the yeah. infrastructure includes uh, regulatory infrastructure, perhaps a custody infrastructure, and and perhaps auditors. Um, all these has to be built up. Um, and at some point, I do think it, it's going to happen. We, we're I think it's the adoption uh, will uh, explode once the ecosystem gets built up. Well, you bring up a good point, Maggie. I, for the listeners, don't try and sim jack my phone. There's no private key on my phone. Uh, it is through a sub manager, which is then allocated that, that stuff. And we, we, uh, we wouldn't entrust it to uh, the file cabinet at the VTA. Ashby, do you have anything to yeah. add to that in terms of how you yeah. think about Bitcoin potentially or other digital assets in the portfolio? You're, you're seeing a lot of big institutions just do the picks and shovels, you know, analogy to your gold, the gold rush that was going on here in the 1800s. Um, you know, they're investing in in the kind of tools around um, tokens, you know, and, and different cryptocurrencies, different exchanges. I mean, to, to your point, Sean, which I think is funny, like there's now insurance products that you can buy um, to insure the loss of your, um, you know, unique code to access mm -hmm. your crypto. And so, you know, let's provide let's let's back those insurance products. And, and so there's an entire world emerging ecosystem of opportunity around this, um, you know, cryptographic asset yeah. class. Uh, and, you know, the non-fungible token boom that's happening right now has has kind of like pushed the boundaries of reality. There's a great SNL skit right. from the weekend uh, that I would encourage yeah. people to go see. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot, you know, there's, you know, Bitcoin is a small, small piece, but there's also, I mean, the technology that has unleashed on the blockchain and this whole idea of DeFi and decentralized exactly. finance and maybe getting a lot of the intermediaries uh, out of the picture, you know, and putting uh, owners of capital directly in touch with the users of capital uh, is coming. So I, I, to me, it feels like uh, DeFi is kind of like where fintech was in 2012 ish. You know, like we're kind of now starting to get some momentum. We're kind of getting up over that billion dollar threshold of revenue and more users are jumping in. And I think it's kind of very reminiscent of 2012 and, and fintech when I first started investing in that space. Sean, I guess that's a, qu a question for you, for your that mm -hmm. comment um, on DeFi. So if it's going to displace the entire industry, think about <laughs> the intermediary industry, it's going to displace what kind of fight, uh, you know, what kind of a hurdle <laughs> You know, I I I, try I think the to biggest hurdles are with regula that. regulators and regulatory hurdles, and so you'll see a lot of this stuff offshore to start. But I think eventually, you know, it, it will be everywhere. Um, so I, I think uh, it's a long road. I think, like like I said, I think it was just very very early days. Um, but I think it, you know, the DeFi revolution. The more I look at it, the more I'm like, wow, there's something here. Um, 
Alex, what are you most excited about in the fintech world? What are you uh, spending time on and thinking about? Um, well, I think we're not we're not there yet for the um, true AI integration as a tool that whether a client could use it or I could use it to really enhance productivity and enhance investor outcome. But I think we can start actively investing in the reporting aspect of it. People really have to um, go back to what it was like to get a, um, a financial, um, um, you know, kind of report from, uh, from a, a brokerage firm or something 25 years ago. It was indecipherable. You couldn't even find where your fees were paid and other than it was just, you know, technology was simple. But what I found is it hasn't really improved. It's kind of told people in simple terms that things may be going up or down, but it hasn't gotten to the heart of the matter, which is I made this decision and here was the outcome. You know, we spent a lot of time, um, if you watch baseball, in here's the probability of this happening in this given situation. And what, uh, why reporting's exciting is they're starting to get that. They're starting to, mm -hmm. to allow reports that I'm seeing from innovative companies that basically say, you did this action and here's the outcome and here's how much more of this specific action you could do in the future while still staying consistent uh, with your, your overall portfolio allocation that becomes really powerful. So rather than um, a, a whole army of financial services people selling to people, selling ideas, it becomes more, hey, accordingly, you can do 5% more in private equity. And what you've done so far has achieved this re result because we can break it out individually away from your stocks and bonds. And just those little innovations, um, they seem obvious, but believe me, they're not. And the fintech I'm seeing out there, I think is revolutionary, even though it might just be seen, be seen by some people to just be, well, it's, it's an improvement. Mm -hmm. um, I think it is really happening in a wonderful way. And I'm very supportive and in investing in those companies that are leading the charge. Maggie, any final thoughts of what you're excited about in the fintech space? I think it's the, we just see the, uh, tip of the iceberg it's it's going to you know come fast it's exciting yeah and ashby will let you close us out with any with the last word here any, anything that uh we should be thinking about as we as we leave and walk away yeah look i think i think like maggie said um you know we need these asset owner investors pension funds sovereign funds to to deliver on their promise and i think technology and and specifically ai is going to help long-term investors understand their future, you know, 10 years out, 15 years out, the effects of climate change, all those kinds of things are now kind of at our fingertips thanks to this technology and we'll be able to build portfolios accordingly. And so it, it's, it's a very exciting moment. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll kick it back to you, Paul. And uh, you have another panel coming right up behind us.